0: Welcome to the Just Thinking Podcast with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker
1: bringing you cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is the Just Thinking Podcast. Let's think.
2: The topic being discussed in this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast may not be suitable for young children. Parental discretion is strongly advised. We're back. It's
1: another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker.
0: And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on,
3: Omaheezy? Oh
0: What's going on, my quarantine on, brother? No.
1: <laughs> Kicking it to you live from the quarantine. What's going on, man? Out there, out there where you are in uh man, Santa
0: Clarita. Listen, out here's out here in Santa Clarita, man, Southern California. I think I've lost track of time, big time, bro. I think what's today, right. April sixty-sixth? Right, I think it's right. something like that or something. <laughs> right, something weird. Thing, right, like, right.
1: <laughs> Right, 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 right. From the corner, man. What,
0: what's today? What's today? April thirteenth, right? Monday, April thirteenth. Right. That's so what the just thinking is, podcast. Right. Yep. But uh, now we're doing great, man. You know, California, at least here in L.A. County, where I live, I don't live in L.A. proper, but Santa Clarita, Valencia is L.A. County. And mm-hmm. last week, L.A. County extended their what they call safer at home. Mm-hmm. They extended their safer at home mandate. So we got another month of this, bro. Wow, a month. Got another month of this quarantine. Good
1: night. Hopefully, a they month. ease something. I hear y'all are doing better though with all the numbers and everything like that, and so maybe it'll, maybe they'll ease some of the restrictions a little bit more soon. You know, sooner than than a month from now. Who knows?
0: Well, you know, I, I was telling you off the air that for an introvert like me, a natural introvert like me, right, having to stay inside, away from everybody, <laughs> dude, this is like the the next best thing to heaven. Right. <laughs> For me, so I got, I have no complaints whatsoever. People don't no know that. About, man. I'm doing people fantastic. Don't, people don't know
1: that about you, man. They, they hear you on the podcast. This is kind of what they get. And you know, you're, you're all in, you know, we, we, we split the time, but, but, but mainly it's, it's heavily driven by the, your direction. And nobody would know that the reality is you would rather be off the mic in your writing, quiet as kept doing your own thing, you know?
0: Yep. Yep. That's me. That's me. Yeah. Background yep. in the shadows, you know, no spotlight whatsoever. That's, that's innately the kind of person I am. Right, uh, right. very, uh, introspective, very thoughtful. Uh, but you know, a, a, a platform like this, because again, those who have been listeners to the Just Thinking podcast for the two years that we've been doing this, they know. Mm-hmm. That when, uh, Dwayne Atkinson, who whose idea this podcast was, mm-hmm. when Dwayne approached me about uh, doing the podcast initially, I turned it down. I said no.
1: Right.
3: right, right.
0: No, because that's not my, you know, that's not my space. I don't really feel comfortable in that sort of, uh, lane, mm-hmm. if you will. But, uh, praise God. You and I were just talking off the air about just how humbling it is to see what God has done, uh, yeah. through this podcast, through this, yeah ministry and, and many of our listeners refer to it as a ministry though you and I may not refer to it in those terms but we we definitely understand what they mean based on especially some of the testimonies that we've gotten for from folks about how the podcast is ministered to them right right uh during the the two years that we've been doing this but yeah um, I, I would rather uh be off the mic than on it
1: right right and and personality wise we're, we're opposite i love man get me in the front hey let me do yeah. my thing i'm i'm more the preacher i hey let's go yeah. but uh on the in in this in this role, man, I I I, I, definitely, I I'm definitely I'm am robbing to your Batman man play the back seat, and truth be told, man, I have thoroughly enjoyed the ride all along the way.
0: Been good. Well, I will tell you what, we're gonna see how much longer this ride lasts, my man Omaha. <laughs> after this episode today, yeah. and the topic we're dealing with in this episode is is heavy. Yeah, it is heavy. It is. Uh, mm-hmm. and and you know, if if, if if nothing else, right, Omaha. If nothing else. The Just Thinking Podcast has built a reputation for not shying away from dealing with difficult topics. Absolutely. Okay? This episode here today that we're doing on Monday, April 13th, 2020, is no different. Mm-hmm. Okay. As we're addressing one of the most difficult and sensitive topics we've dealt with in the two years that you and I have been doing this podcast together, and that topic is, drum roll, mm-hmm. pornography in the church. Yeah. Pornography in the church. Now, as you know, Omaha, as a lead up to this episode, and frankly, as a matter of prudence, to be honest with you, I tweeted an advisory, okay, a a disclaimer, if you will, to inform our listeners about the sensitive nature of the subject matter we'd be discussing today. And out of particular consideration for our listeners who might be in the presence of young children, especially given this present COVID-19 milieu and which we all find ourselves, I tweeted an advisory to strongly urge our listeners to employ parental guidance while listening to this episode. But I want to take a couple of moments to share with our listeners some unexpected responses that I received to that advisory that I tweeted out a few days ago. So these are direct quotes. Folks who, who follow me on Twitter, uh, these are direct verbatim responses to that, that parental guidance advisory that I tweeted out a few days ago. Mm-hmm. One person responded. Uh, in this way. Quote, thank you for addressing this subject. Porn destroyed my marriage. Sometimes it still hurts to even say that word. Now I'm vigilantly fighting to protect my son from falling into the same fate. People don't understand how destructive porn is to the human mind. Unquote. Another person responded, as a pastor, In the last 15 years of marital counseling I have done with marriages in crisis, internet porn is the single greatest recurring issue we've dealt with. There is no close second. Unquote. Another response. Thank you for addressing this. I can't wait to listen. I hope many come to understand the ramifications of this sin in marriage. Unquote. Another comment was. Quote, can't wait to listen, brother. I pray this episode is beneficial for everyone listening who struggles. Internet porn is like a chain on your mind that seeps into all other aspects of your life. It negatively affects your spiritual walk and actually desanctifies you. Unquote. Mm -hmm. Two more quotes, two more comments I want to quote here. Thanks, Daryl and Virgil, for taking this on. Many churches choose to ignore this, praying for wisdom for you guys and looking forward to seeing how God will use this episode to shine the light of Christ on this elephant in the church, unquote. And then lastly, the last comment was this, quote, I caught my 10 year old son looking at porn online through YouTube of all places, and I don't know how to get it through his head, just how life altering it truly is. Pornography, I believe, is one of the biggest threats and hindrances in the Christians today. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said, I never expected to get responses to what was essentially just an FYI, sort of a heads up, if you will. But I thought those comments warranted sharing because they reflect the consistency and the level of concern many Christians have about an issue that has either impacted their lives personally or has, in their opinion, gone unaddressed for far too long by the evangelical church. Now, before I hand things over to you, Omaha, for your initial thoughts on this subject, I want to take a few moments to explain to our listeners why we titled this episode Pornography in the Church, as opposed to Pornography and the Church. Okay, now, the reason I chose to use one preposition, the word in, Instead of the word and is because any sin that is prevalent in the church is prevalent because it is first of all prevalent among those who are within the church. Mm. Okay. And for context by church, I'm referring to the redeemed in Jesus Christ, his elect. Okay. So that's what I, that's what I'm referring to when I use the word church. In other words, I titled this episode pornography in the church. In an effort to emphasize and magnify the reality that the sin of pornography in the church, as is the case with any sin issue, is personal before it is ecclesiastical. Mm-hmm. It is individual before it is corporate. OK, so to whatever degree pornography and church would be a legitimate topic for us to discuss it is primarily because pornography is an issue in the church and it is an issue in the church. Because it is an issue in the lives of many of those who are within the church. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in broaching the topic of pornography in the church, the goal of the Just Thinking Podcast is to make the issue personal. And what I mean by that is that we want to approach this subject of pornography in the church for what it fundamentally is, a heart issue. That's right. As opposed to generalizing it by citing a bunch of statistics which we will do in an effort to give us some context. So we will cite some statistics, but statistics can tell you only so much. I mean, besides how many people, okay. How many people, including professing Christians would honestly respond to a survey asking if they watch <laughs> pornography with any degree of frequency, right? You know, I seriously doubt that many would. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on
1: Well, I, I think one, I, I think you laid out our case. Well, just from the outset of what the goals are of what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, with this particular episode, and and I'm excited to walk through. On the one hand, I'm excited to walk through this with you. On the other hand, as as I was kind of preparing, thinking through this, and you you sent me notes last week sometime, and uh, you know latter part of latter part of the week, and I just it took me a day or two to really wrap my mind around where exactly do we want to go with this? How do we want to address this, uh, both from an informative standpoint, uh, but, but also from, from a standpoint, as we always do from a biblical standpoint, Hey, we want to inform about what the issues are, but then how do we address this biblically? And I think you stated it absolutely correctly. This is, this is not, this is not pornography and the church. This is pornography in the church and that the issue is personal. My my comments would simply echo those of our listeners. Uh, for one, like I said, I'm glad we're addressing the topic as a pastor Uh, The biggest issue that I encounter most often and and to the point that that someone else made earlier, there's not even a close second is the issue of pornography. Mm -hmm. Even when I talk to 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 a spouse of someone who's been unfaithful in their marriage, the infidelity usually has been the result of a long standing relationship with pornography. So as as you and I, as you know, I, I interact with young adults. And, and in some cases with students and, and they've come to me and shared with me that they, they are, they're addicted quote unquote. I, I put that in air quotes for a reason that they're addicted right. to pornography. And I, I know you're going to address the idea of addiction in this episode. H- however, they express that they're quote unquote addicted to pornography use, uh, and that it absorbs hours of their day each and every week. So so on the one hand, excited about the topic, on the other, saddened that we have to do that that, that we have to do the topic. Uh but I know you're going to uncover some of the perv- pervasive nature of this particular sin uh within within the church. And and so man, I'm 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 along for the ride. Let's let's do this thing.
0: Well, I appreciate Omaha you sharing that from a personal perspective. I just want to say that before I kind of dive into, to what my thesis is going to be around this issue. You know, it was the American Heart Association, the American Heart Association years ago ran an ad campaign that referred to heart disease as the quote, silent killer unquote, because it often kills suddenly and without warning. Now I tend to view pornography in the same way. Pornography is a silent killer. It destroys marriages, families, churches, careers, oftentimes without warning, because the, the effects of pornography are often not recognized until it's too late. But another reason I describe pornography as a, a quote unquote silent killer, particularly with regard to the damage it is causing today in the church. You kind of spoke to that a little while ago, Omaha, mm-hmm. is because pornography is an issue which the church has said little or nothing about despite the destruction that it causes. And that destruction is quantifiable. Okay. Mm -hmm. For example, a 2016 article published by the American association for the advancement of science, the AAAS found that the increase in the likelihood of divorce. Okay. Now this is just a likelihood. This organization found that the increase in the likelihood of divorce Doubled from 5% to 10% among married men who watched pornography and tripled from 6% to 18% among married women who watched pornography. Mm. Data from the National Coalition for the Protection of Children and Families reported these statistics. Listen to these numbers. This is from the National Coalition for the Protection of Children and Families. Forty seven percent of families in the United States reported that pornography is a serious problem in their home. Forty million Americans regularly visit porn sites. Thirty five percent of all Internet downloads are related to pornography. Thirty four percent of pornography users are women. I'm going to repeat that one. Thirty four percent. pornography users are women. That's one out of every three. Mm -hmm. Pornography use, continue with these statistics, pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. 40% of people identified as quote-unquote sex addicts divorce from their spouse. 40%. Fifty eight percent of pornography users suffer considerable financial loss and about thirty three percent of them end up losing their jobs. Wow. Okay, so those were numbers from the National Coalition for the Protection of Children and Families. Here's some additional numbers. These numbers are from an organization called Recovery Village. Recovery Village is a secular entity that delivers comprehensive treatment services. For substance abuse and co-occurring mental health disorders. So according to Recovery Village, 12% of all internet content is pornographic. Problematic pornography, and I'll go into defining that term here in just a second. <clears throat> Excuse me. Problematic pornography use affects approximately 8% of the US population. Now based on the current US population, that 8% equates to 26 million People. Twenty-six million suffer from problematic pornography use. Mm-hmm. Continuing with these numbers from Recovery Village. People who are addicted to internet pornography spend at least eleven to twelve hours viewing pornography online every week. Mm-hmm. The average age of first exposure, the average age of first exposure to pornography is now only 11 years old. As much as 93% of boys, okay, as much as 93% of boys and 62% of girls first see pornography before they turn 18. Mm. Early exposure to pornography is directly correlated with increased pornography use and addiction to pornography later in life. 68% of divorce cases involve one spouse meeting his or her extramarital partner over the Internet, while 56% of divorces involve one spouse having a quote unquote obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Those were stats from Recovery Village. Now, listen to these numbers from the website WebRoot.com. According to WebRoot.com. Every second of every day, 30,000 users, that's 1.8 million people per minute, are watching pornography on the Internet. WebRoot.com says that an average of $3,100 is being spent on pornography on the Internet every second of every day. That nearly 400 people are typing the word adult into an internet search engine every second of every day. Wow! day. I've got two more groups of, st- of statistics for our listeners to tune in on. And again, this is just, these numbers are to just help establish the breadth and depth of this problem around the world. The website tech reports these numbers. 20% of men, and 13% of women admit to watching pornography online at work. Now check this one out, Omaha. Utah, one of the most conservative states in America, has the nation's highest pornography subscription rate at nearly six subscriptions per 1,000 homes. Mm. That's Utah. Wow. 35% still Continuing with these statistics from techaddiction.ca. 35% of all internet downloads are of pornographic material. The average porn site visit lasts 6 minutes and 29 seconds. The average porn site visit lasts 6 minutes and 29 seconds. The least popular day of the year, okay, this is the least popular day of the year, for viewing pornography is Thanksgiving Day. That's the least popular day of the year. But check this out, Omaha. The most popular day of the week for viewing pornography is Sunday. Wow. It's Sunday. The last data point I have is from the Barner Research Group, which found that 13% of practicing Christians regularly watch pornography. Now I don't cite these statistics for the sake of the statistics themselves. Mm -hmm. I cite them because we cannot afford to be so naive as to ignore the reality that embedded within some of these numbers are any adult men, adult women, as well as young boys and young girls who profess to believe in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Hence again, why is this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast is titled Pornography in the Church? Mm-hmm. Thoughts, Omaha? Wow,
1: man. <clears throat> that was a, that was incredible to walk through all, all of the data points that you have. One of the things I love about what you said before you started um, was when you said that what's happening in the church is silence is deafening, for one. That was kind of a point that you made. And then two... That, the, that right. the, the root of the issue is quantifiable and, and then you quantified it. I mean, right. with, without, without, yep. without any, any ambiguity about it. it it's crystal clear. And, and I, I had to pause when you said that because I thought, man, we, he's right about that. Like, who's talking about this to a great degree with, with regularity? Mm-hmm. And, and even, and even if we were able mm-hmm. to identify that one person or two people or handful of ministries that are, it's problematic that 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 the breadth and depth of the church at large, right, the the, the Catholic Church, right. the Universal Church, isn't speaking right. about this issue to to the great degree that that exactly. that, that, those, that those numbers would would suggest. There, 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 uh, there are the numbers that, that, the, the numbers rather that you pulled, that you pulled were uh, absolutely uh, alarming. And there were so many spots where I was tempted to stop you and add commentary regarding a statistic. For example, you said 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a serious problem in their home. Now, I'm trying to figure out how do you define a mm-hmm. serious Problem, like what? What is right? Like, I mean, is it not serious if you view it this many times? How serious is it when you view, if you view it <laughs> right. that many times? I mean, what, yep. what? what And I know I know you're going to address that to to a greater degree later on. Problematic pornography, you, you stated. Problematic pornography use affects approximately eight percent of the U.S. population. That's that's problematic on two fronts. Problematic pornography, like what is problematic pornography, and then two. Are, are there homes mm-hmm. where problematic pornography doesn't impact the home I mean so 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 on two different fronts as you laid that statistic out I thought about I thought about the people who are responding and how what their what their world view is it has has great impact on how they're responding to these particular questions uh, the, the words problematic pornography use it presupposes the idea that there's another kind of use of pornography that might be all right right
0: mm-hmm. great point. 20 point, 20
1: 20 percent of men and 13 percent of women admit to watching pornography on online and I'm, I'm thinking what 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 kind of work are you doing that causes you to be able to view pornography right. during the work hour like what in the world how does that right and, and and how do you not see that need during your work day as 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 enslavement. I won't even use the term addiction and I know you'll get to that down the road, but right. how how do you not view that as, as enslavement to sin and in such a mm-hmm. such a crazy way? Lastly, that thirteen percent of practicing Christians regularly watch pornography my my initial thought by about that was as i as i stated earlier when we when you know the problems that i run into in the you know when when we're when i'm counseling couples or counseling men in particular i i'd suggest that that number is way 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 too low you alluded to it earlier when you said i would agree i would agree yeah well you said how many how many professing christians are going to openly admit that they're viewing mm-hmm. pornography right. know, regularly. That So I just think that that number is too low. Pornography is such an issue in the church. Uh, we, we I think we have to assume that men are in either one of two categories, right? Either you're actively fighting against this temptation or you're passively losing the battle. I don't think there are any other two options.
0: I agree. I agree 100% Omaha. You know, in the summer of 2018, a white paper was published by the Auckland University of Technology in Auckland, New Zealand on the assessment and treatment of adult heterosexual men with self-perceived problematic pornography use. That was the title of the white paper. That was from the summer of 2018 from the Auckland University of Technology in Auckland, New Zealand. Now in that white paper, the term, quote, problematic pornography, quote unquote, which you heard me mention and which you talked about in your comments just a second ago. You heard me mention that in one of the statistics I cited earlier from Recovery Village. That white paper defines problematic pornography this way, quote, problematic pornography consumption often referred to as porn addiction or Internet porn addiction. Can be conceptualized as any use of pornography that leads to and or produces significant negative interpersonal, vocational or personal consequences for the user. Unquote. I'm going to repeat that problematic pornography consumption often referred to as porn addiction or internet porn addiction can be conceptualized as any use of pornography. That leads to and or produces significant negative interpersonal, vocational, or personal consequences for the user. Now that white paper goes on to state the following. I think this is very important. Quote, for purposes of this review, the term porn, pornography, or internet porn is defined as professionally produced or consumer generated picture or videos intended to sexually arouse the viewer specifically pornography usually portrays a variety of sexual activities including but not limited to masturbation oral sex vaginal and anal intercourse often with a focus on the genitals since its arrival the internet has had a huge impact on the way pornography is consumed with most current pornographic material accessed via the internet. The Internet is credited for having provided pornography the necessary platform for unprecedented dissemination. Some evidence suggests that the internet has served as a catalyst for changing the fundamental relationship between the individual and pornographic material, allowing access to a seemingly in supply of free and diverse content the quality specific to internet pornography credited for this global dissemination is known as the triple A engine. Okay. The triple A engine, three A's accessibility, affordability, Mm. and anonymity. That's the triple A engine, accessibility, affordability, and quote is this way. All indications suggest the ever present access to cheap And diverse pornographic material is a reality that will change. Unquote. Mm -hmm. You know, I stressed the point earlier, Omaha, that pornography, as is the case with every sin, is a heart issue. Now that is a universal reality. That means it applies to every person. Okay. That is a heart issue. That's a universal reality that brings to my mind these very sobering words from Charles Spurgeon, who in a sermon entitled the great reservoir, which he preached on February 21st, 1858 said this, this is Charles Spurgeon from his sermon, the great reservoir quote, you have seen the great reservoirs provided by our water companies from which the water that is to supply hundreds of streets and thousands of houses is kept. Now the heart is just the reservoir of man and our life is allowed to flow in its proper season. That life may flow through different pipes, the mouth and, the hand, the eye, but still all the issues of hand, of eye, of lip, derive their source from the great fountain and central reservoir, the heart. And hence there is no difficulty in showing the great necessity that exists for keeping this reservoir, the heart, in a proper state and condition, since otherwise that which flows through the pipes must be tainted and corrupt, unquote. That was Charles Spurgeon from his sermon, The Great Reservoir. Now, Spurgeon, as usual, nails it. The truth is, people, including many Christians, watch pornography because the reservoir of their heart is tainted and corrupt. Now, I can't be so dogmatic as to say that a professing believer in Christ who watches pornography is not genuinely regenerate. I can't go as far as to say that. Nevertheless, it does raise the question. Okay. Now I say that in light of what scripture unambiguously declares in first John chapter three, verse nine, where John writes this, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, that is God's seed, abides in him and he cannot practice sin because he is born of God. That's first John three, nine. Now the question becomes, What does that phrase born of God mean? What is John talking about there when he uses that phrase born of God? Well, to answer that question, we need only go back to the gospel of John, chapter one and verses 12 and 13. They read this way. First John 12 and I'm sorry, John, chapter one, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay? That's John chapter one, verses twelve and thirteen. So John here, when he uses the phrase born of God in first John three, nine, is talking about the new birth. He's talking about the, the spiritual new birth, the regenerate heart. Okay? Now it is absolutely critical here that we understand what the apostle John is saying and what he is not saying in first john 3 verse 9 okay john is not saying that no one who is born of god never sins okay he's not saying that in fact it is in that same epistle in first john chapter 1 verses 8 through 10 that john says this if we say that we have no sin we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful. That is, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him. That is, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. That was first John one verses eight through ten. Now, the pronoun we in first John one eight, where John says, if we say that we have no sin, the we there is believers. Okay. So in 1 John 3, 9, John is not saying that believers in Christ never sin. He is not advocating in that text the heresy of Christian perfection or what is known as the doctrine of entire sanctification. But what John clearly is saying is that no truly regenerate believer in Christ practices sin as a matter of habit or lifestyle. He's clearly saying that. So now, in 1 John 3 9, I just want to make this a side note. In 1 John 3 9, the word practices, that verb practices, is the Greek verb poieo, that's spelled P O I E O. That verb poieo means to do, to produce, to make, to bring forth, to commit, to cause, or to perform, okay? So no one who is truly a regenerate follower of Jesus Christ habitually performs or commits sins as a practice of lifestyle. OK, in first John two four, the scriptures declare that the one who says I have come to know him, which is to say that the one who claims to believe in Jesus Christ, one who claim who says rather I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. That's 1 John 2, 4. So in light of these words from the apostle John in 1 John 2, 4, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, the question then becomes, well, what are the commandments that believers in Christ are expected to keep? Well, one of those commandments is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, where the apostle Paul says this, for, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles or unbelievers who do not know God. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5. Now, in commenting on those words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, the 18th century Bible commentator Matthew Henry said this, Quote, "This is a caution against uncleanness sexual immorality being a sin directly contrary to sanctification or that holy walking to which Paul so earnestly exhorts them this caution is expressed and also enforced by many arguments it is expressed in the words you should abstain from fornication this verse 3 by which we are to understand all uncleanness" whatsoever, either in a married or unmarried state. Adultery is, of course, included, though fornication is particularly mentioned. And other sorts of uncleanness are also forbidden, of which it is a shame even to speak, though they are done by too many in secret, for example, watching pornography. Here mm-hmm. he con- continues, speech and behavior is contrary to the command of God in the Decalogue and contrary to that holiness, which the gospel requires. There are several arguments to enforce this caution as this branch of sanctification that is sexual purity in particular is the will of God. It is the will of God in general, that we should be holy because he that called us is holy. And because we are chosen unto salvation through the sanctification of the spirit. And not only does God require holiness in the heart, but also purity in our bodies and that we should cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, both of flesh and spirit." That's 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Whenever the body is as it ought to be devoted to God and dedicated and set apart for him, it should be kept clean and pure for his service. And as chastity is one of one branch of our sanctification, So this is one thing which God commands in his law and what his grace affects in all true believers, unquote. That was Matthew Henry commenting on First Thessalonians, Chapter four. Omaha, thoughts
1: on that. Wow. Powerful section, powerful conversation about the the issue of the heart. And I mean, that's at the end of the day where where this really goes to. And I, and I, I know That as you set that up, that was that was your goal. That was your thesis. This is this is an issue of the heart. uh, And we've got to address the heart issue in this way. So I, I just think this is spot on. I loved what you said earlier. You said you said earlier, you said it's not this is not to suggest. And I love the pastoral way in which you approach this. Uh, maybe you saw it that way, maybe you didn't, but you said it's not to suggest or infer that a professing believer in Christ who watches pornography regardless of frequency is not genuinely regenerate. However, being pastoral, you went on to say, however, it does raise a question and and then you quoted first uh, mm-hmm. John three nine that no one who is born of God practices sin because but because uh, his or God's God's seed. Uh, abides in him that he cannot practice sin because he is born of God. One of the things that we don't often do when we're encountering by we, I mean, th- those of us who are in pastoral ministry who deal with this, our natural inclination is to lean into grace. That's our, that's our natural, first thing we want to do is, Hey, is our response, we want to, want to lean into grace. Hey, grace, 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 grace. And that's, and that, and, and there's a reason and a space for that. There, there, there. And and I think you did that initially when you, when you said, Hey, this is not to suggest that a professing believer who watches pornography isn't regenerate. However, we also have a pastoral responsibility to ask another question. And, and the question that we have to ask is, are you indeed saved? Are you mm-hmm. indeed, indeed of the faith? You know, w- whenever I've had the opportunity to counsel someone who comes in and says, I'm addicted to pornography, and again, I use addicted in, in air quotes, they seem to want to hold on right. to the unique, unique idea that they're truly, that they're truly saved. But that they cannot abandon the practice of pornography use. So that's what they're saying. They're trying to say, mm-hmm. "Yeah, I'm saved, exactly. but but I, I just can't. I, I'm addicted. I cannot abandon the practice of pornography use." Some of these same people, if you ask, they would unequivocally agree that there is no such thing as gay Christian, right? So if you ask these right. people, "Hey, do you do you believe that there's gay? Uh, someone could be gay Christian?" I say, "No, there's no way." Yet at the same time. While they wouldn't hold to the idea of gay Christianity, they have a problem seeing pornographic Christian as a valid position to hold. Right, e- e- right. E- e- Even though that's how they they are self describing themselves, they're, they're saying, "I'm a Christian." Mm, great point. Who, can, who cannot abandon my use of pornography? Right. So I'm a pornographic Christian. Great point. They, they they would reject gay Christianity, yet they they hold to themselves close to the vest, close to their breast, uh, pornographic. Christianity, right? I mean, that, that, that's a, in essence, that's exactly what we're saying. In other words, there, there are those Mm -hmm. who believe their version of Christianity ignores their pornography use. Uh, These same Christians would be adamant to reject the notion of gay Christianity. Christians habitually using pornography, I think they need to examine their words, their practice, and their faith. And their faith. Mm. And and Scripture Mm. tells us that we have to examine ourselves to see if we are indeed of the faith. The the power of the cross is sufficient to overcome the penalty as well as the power of sin in the life of the believer therefore, if we aren't experiencing that power to overcome sin, we have to examine our lives to see what's what's really going on. Let me let me say this as well as as I as I wrap up my my thought process. I, I don't say this from a position of, of self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I say this one. I say this as a as a beggar who's found bread and is pointing to the source of more food. Uh, I, I say this as someone who was once enslaved to this sin, who's been set free. And I, and I want to point people wow. to that same freedom, to the to the same freedom that, that, that allows them to walk away from this enslavement into sin, uh, go, going on the, the underground railroad, so to speak, and, and taking you from being a slave to being free from
0: this in particular. Man, I so appreciate what you said, Omaha. And if you'll allow me just a minute or two, I want to go off script here for a second sure. because you brought up something that's very, very important. We do tend, we want to, I think we should default as our first response to, as you put it, lean into grace, lean into grace. But I do want to add to that, that I think Christianity, especially in America, American Christianity, American evangelicalism has become so grace centric that it actually leads to situations where People like the one, the person you brought up compartmentalizes their Christianity. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, there's a term that I coined uh, a couple years ago. I call it gracism. G-R-A-C-E-I-S-M. <laughs> come on, this man. This is gracism. Come on, come on, come on, come on. All age is grace, 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 grace. Right, That's right. all you hear. Right, right. No no one is ever... No one is ever brought to the point to where they're confronted about their sin. See, I call people like that gracists, <laughs> because all they preach is grace. Those those are the people. They're gracists. They're G R A C E I S T S. They're gracists. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who commit gracism? They, 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 they're guilty of the sin of gracism because you, you take, for example, Jesus's encounter with the woman at the well, mm-hmm. the Samaritan woman at the well. Mm-hmm. What does Jesus do? I love that t- passage in John 4. I love it. That may, that v- may be my favorite passage in the entire New Testament, John chapter 4, where Jesus engages the Samaritan woman. Mm-hmm. What does Jesus do? Right. He doesn't just ask her what the weather is. Hey, how you doing? How's everything going? Oh yeah, by the way, the, I, I know the guy you're living with right now isn't your husband. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't just, Jesus went all the way back in her past and dug up the other five, the <laughs> other five men. Let's yeah. you live with, yeah. But you don't mm-hmm. just preach grace, 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 grace. I mean, even the music in our churches today—there mm. are, are every title of contemporary, every music now in the church has the word grace, 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 grace. Where, where are the hymns about sin? Mm-hmm. Need grace. Mm-hmm. Only sinners need grace. Think about that. Right. That's why you need grace, cause you're a mm-hmm, sinner. So mm-hmm. you can't, you can't preach one without the other. You mm-hmm. can't go out here committing graces. Right. Every day, without confronting the person about their sin, which Excellent. warrants. Okay? So that's totally, that's for free right there. For our that's totally <laughs> off script.
1: Let me, let me add this to that, and, and, uh, before you jump back into where, where you're trying to take us, and that is, I mean, you, you, think about every Pauline epistle. I mean, every one of them begins with, 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 with God's grace on us, but it does not end there. It doesn't start and end there. It, it, you right. know, e- Ephesians chapter three, ver- chapter four begins with, you know, n- n- live in a manner that, that's worthy of this call, right? W- live in a way that, that right. honors the grace you've been given. And then it walks you through the manner in which you should live. And it's often chapter five begins telling you avoid sexual immorality. Over and over and over again. I mean, you can you could right. walk through every Pauline epistle and find a space in which Paul stops with stops with with theology proper uh, or, or or some aspect or, of, of 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 salvation and says, "Now that you know this, you have got to live differently. You 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 you're going to have to live right. differently. Not in an effort to obtain what God's already provided for you through His Son, but but to but as evidence of the fact." that you've indeed received the clearest understanding and the measure of, of of regeneration God intends for your heart to have.
0: Yeah. And if I could just add one more building block, man, we're totally off script here, but it's cool. It's our show. No problem. <laughs> Listen, the point you're making reminds me of what Peter says in first Peter chapter one. I'm going to have to read verses one and two here, but the emphasis okay. is on the latter part of verse two. Mm -hmm. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who Mm -hmm. are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the spirit. Now listen to this, the latter part Mm -hmm. of verse two. Chosen by the foreknowledge of God to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: You you were chosen. Not only so I love this verse because what does Peter do here? Peter puts salvation and sanctification at the same level. Mm-hmm. To save for out there in the future for eternity when you die mm-hmm. and you go to heaven. Mm-hmm. No, you're you're saved for right now. Mm-hmm. He said, "You God chose you by His foreknowledge to obey." That's the sanctification mm-hmm. part. And to be sprinkled with his blood—that's the salvation part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Look, so, no, I'll just I'll can't. Throw, you just cannot. You, you, I'll throw you, now, Let me finish up I'll here, bro. And then I'll give ahead, it back to you.
1: Go ahead. No. But ahead.
0: I just want to say this: you can't. Again, this is to my graces out there. <laughs> you can't just preach grace, 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 without also preaching why grace is so critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's critical because we're sinners. Absolutely. Only sinners need grace. If you're not a sinner, you don't need grace. You're good to go. Mm-hmm. You're good to go without God. Mm-hmm. But that's not me. I'm just talking about me. Right. I'm, sure <laughs> I'm the only one that, that fits that category. <laughs> go, go, ahead, Omaha. go ahead. I was just
1: going mean, to add. Did, did
0: we cue the hammer? We might no, cue the mascot. We the <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I, I'd add to that, I mean, you were in the same lane automatically. My mind went to Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. I mean, we, we automatically look at that as, okay, this is, this is the salvific plan of God the Father before the foundation of the world, right? But we, we, if if we're not careful, we'll neglect what he's called us to. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, but it goes on to say that we should be holy and blameless right. before him. That, 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 that's absolutely right. what, what that states. The whole purpose of, of the salvific work doesn't stop at simply the regeneration of your heart or the or the experience of, of eternal life, but that you would be called to be conformed into the image of his son.
0: And see, Omaha, isn't it amazing that we have... People who call themselves Christians out there who get angry with you and me for pointing out what we just did. Mm. That God has called you to be holy. No, that God has called you to obey. We got people out here who will be angry with us for that. See, I call those folks theologians. They're not theologians. They're theologians. <laughs> theologians because they let their emotions their emotions shape their theology. So they're, they're philologians. That's F E E L L O G I A N S. Yeah. yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're they're philologians. They're not theologians. I love theologians. it. I love, it. The, love it. The, 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 but every, every believer is a theologian. Every believer is a theologian. And you have to set your, uh, your feelings aside. Matter of fact, your feelings need to be mortified.
3: Mm. Don't just set them aside. Your
0: feelings need to be killed because this mm. is what the gospel teaches. God didn't just call you to save you in some uh, a, a, a kind of potted plant kind of existence. That's good. No, yeah, that's he good. expects that's good. you to obey him. Okay? So don't be a theologian. Be a theologian. Theologian and, and accept the entire God. You just can't pick and choose uh, and, and segment it out. Uh, in, in your example earlier, on, which I thought was brilliant. Where the guy would, the person would disavow gay Christianity, but right, we totally right. accept, uh, pornographic Christian because right. it, 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 it gives them a loophole, if you will, an asterisk right. to the right. gospel, uh, to, to live and still carry out their sinful predilection. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, alright. So back on the script. Unless there's something else you want to add, Omaha, do you want to add no, anything bro, else? No, no, no,
1: no. It's our show, it. man. We can, we
0: can do what right. we want. All right. So, so you and I are both biblical counselors, Omaha. You kind of alluded mm-hmm. to that earlier. And I think you'll yep. agree when I say that regardless the specific issue or issues that may bring a married or engaged couple or an individual, for that matter, to seek out biblical guidance and direction, the root cause of the issue, regardless of what the specific is issue is, the root cause of the issue is invariably the heart. Mm. That's always the bottom line issue. Now, I say that in light of what Jesus teaches us in Mark chapter 7, verses 17 through 23, which I'll read now from the non-Armenian standard Bible translation. This is Mark 7, verses 17 through 23. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees about human defilement. Mm -hmm. Mark 7, verses 17 through 23. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated? And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of wickedness, as well as deceit. Sensuality or lust, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, all these things proceed from within and defile the man. Those are the words of Jesus from Mark chapter 7 verses 17 to 23. So Jesus is making it abundantly clear here in this passage in Mark 7 that the Genesis, the origin of every sinful desire or predilection that you and I have, heart, okay, Our problem, Omaha, is that we don't really have a genuine appreciation for how corrupt, how defiled, how polluted, and how decayed our hearts truly are. Mm. We don't have an appreciation for that. You know, it was the great reformer, John Calvin, who famously said that the human heart is an idle factory. That's what Mm -hmm. Calvin said. Well, when you think about it, when you reduce it down to the least common denominator, a factory exists for one reason and one reason only. And that reason is to produce products, materials, goods, and services that help people gratify themselves. Mm. That's why a factory exists. That's the one reason a factory exists. Regardless of specific items a particular factory may actually produce, fundamentally, a factory is in the business of helping people self-gratify And the heart is like a factory in that sense. The human heart is a factory that operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Its sole function is to satisfy affections. Mm. That's the sole function of the heart is to satisfy its affections. That is all the heart does 24-7. But the affections that are produced by the factory of our heart are so innately corrupt that we live to satisfy only ourselves. And that is idol worship. What the person who engages in pornography needs to understand is that he or she is first and foremost, above all else, an idolater. Pornography is merely one manifest- one manifestation of that idolatry in their life. Okay, so pornography is just one evidence of the idolatry that's going on in their life. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the Puritan theologian John Flavel who said this. Flavel said, verily, we know not what an evil it is to indulge ourselves and to make an idol of our will. That was John Flavel. We do not know what an evil it is to indulge ourselves and to make an idol of our will. The third century Christian scholar Origen said this. Origen said, what each one honors before all else, what before all things he admires and loves, this for him is God. That was Origen. The Canadian preacher and theologian A. B. Simpson said this. Simpson said, as long as you want anything very much, especially more than you want God, it is an idol. Mm-hmm. A.B. Simpson. So again, the person who engages in pornography is an idolater. Mm-hmm. And idolatry is a matter of the affections that are produced in the factories of our hearts. Mm-hmm. We're all familiar with the words of Jeremiah 17:9 which declares the truth about ourselves that we don't want to admit right. that the heart is more deceitful. The heart is more deceitful than all else. And is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah seventeen nine. in that verse in Jeremiah 17, nine, God poses to Jeremiah. One of the most profound rhetorical questions to be found in all of scripture. The answer to which of course, is that no one can understand the heart. No one can understand it. That is precisely why Charles Spurgeon said, surely the heart is a chameleon. Mm. The heart is a chameleon, Spurgeon.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, Omaha, I found it interesting that in digging deeper into that verse in Jeremiah 17, 9, which describes the heart as being deceitful above all else, that the Hebrew adjective deceitful literally means fraudulent. Wow. Wow. Our hearts, our hearts are fraudulent. They cannot be trusted. When we realize that truth about ourselves, we then can understand the gravity of the words from Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26, mm-hmm. which says that he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Is a fool. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. You're a fool to trust in your own heart. The word fool in Hebrew literally means stupid. So it is a stupid thing to trust in your own heart because your heart is a fraud. Mm -hmm. And yet trusting in their own heart is precisely what millions of people who engage in watching and in many cases participating in pornography, some of whom are Christians, do every single day. Mm -hmm. The reason pornography has enslaved so many people so that they're willing to risk their marriage, their family, their career, their reputation, and in many situations, their eternal destiny. The reason pornography has enslaved so many of those people, and they—they're they, enslaving themselves for just six minutes and twenty-nine seconds of sinful, fleshly pleasure. Six minutes and twenty-nine seconds. They're doing that because they're fools. They literally, and biblically speaking, are fools. You know, Amaha, it was the great church father, Augustine, who himself was enslaved to sexual immorality for many years of his life. He was one of those fools, too, at one point until God rescued him. And commenting on the inability of sex to fulfill what was truly lacking in his life, Augustine said this, quote. The good you love is from him, that is from God, but only in so far as it is used for him. Is it good and sweet? But with justice, it will become bitter. If you, as a deserter from him, unjustly love what comes from him, Mm. whither do you walk farther and farther along these hard and toilsome roads? There is no rest to be found where you seek it. Seek what you seek, but it lies not where you seek it. You seek a happy life in the land of death, but it is not there. How can you find a happy life where there is no life? Unquote. That was Augustine. How can you find? Oh, my gosh. This question is so amazing. How can you find a happy life where there is no life? Augustine asked. Now, Augustine was a man who knows what he's talking about when it comes to sexual immorality. He knows what he's talking about. God brought him to such a realization that he's asking, how can you find a happy life where there is no life? It was that same Augustine who came to the realization that one cannot find a happy life where there is no life. That same Augustine also came to an even greater realization when he said these words in his confessions, quote, great. Are you? O Lord. And exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense and your wisdom beyond reckoning. And so we men who are a due part of your creation long to praise you. We also carry our mortality about with us, carry the evidence of our sin and with it, the proof you arouse us so that praising you may bring us joy because you have made us and drawn us to yourself. And the heart is restless. Until it rests in you, man. Unquote. Omaha, Amen. what you got?
1: Man, I, I love that. What you? The question earlier: How can you find a happy life where there is no life? And that—that's that's what pornography okay. promises. It's it's wow. it's fa- it's fantasy. Exactly. Uh, it's 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 a fantasy, promising exactly. life where there is no life. And, uh, man, I love Augustine's confessions. Augustine, some say Augustine, some say Augustine. Depends on who, who's pronouncing I think, I think smarter theologians say Augustine like
0: you did. We, <laughs> we say, we say Augustine in the hood as well. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I,
1: I get it. I get it. It's, it's a, if, if I would encourage our listeners, that's a, it's, a, his confessions are a great read, man. They're great. There's some good reading, which I highly recommend. And to the point you made earlier, He he speaks honestly about about the the sin depraved life that 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 he lived. Right. And so when it when it comes to sin, it's always it's always, always, always an issue of the heart. And that's why it's important to use biblical terms like the biblical term enslaved rather than the psychological term Mm -hmm. addicted as it pertains to sin. We have, we have a tendency even in, even in Christian culture to use euphemisms in an attempt to blunt the reality of what's happening. And once you've been freed from a particular sin, you have, you'd have to, you have to see yourself as completely free and that, and ask yourself this question. Why would I walk back to find a happy life where there is no life? Why, why would I, why would I be inclined Mm -hmm. to go back? To, To do so would be absolute Insanity. One of the, one of the resources that I've used to address this issue, and it has been a tremendous help to me in the past and men that I've discussed the issue with, is Heath Lambert's book, Finally Free, for Purity yes. and the Power of Grace, right? So, so I, yes. wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna quote the title of the book again. It's Heath Lambert's book, Finally Free, Fighting for Purity and the Power of Grace. And he, he, he deals with the issue of sin as well and kind of walks through I would, I highly recommend getting the book. I, I would, I usually try to have a stack of these books available in my library to help men walk through freedom in this area. And, and for those who are free and maybe free from, from being on pornographic websites or you, you, even, even though that may be the case that you found that freedom, this book will still be helpful to you. It's helped me mm-hmm. every time I've revisited it as a tool. Right. As 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 you help other men, God will use this book to sanctify other areas of your thought life, uh as well as, as as helping you to continue to consistently make a covenant with your eyes so as not to sin against the Lord. Those are my thoughts, man.
0: Yeah. And just a footnote to what you just shared, uh Omaha. Number one, uh, first of all, I fully endorse Dr. Heath Lambert's book. Finally, free, finally, free. Go get it. Read it. Even if you don't think you need it. Get mm-hmm. it and yep. read it and then yep. give it to someone else. Okay. Yep. 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 Um, you know, in, 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 uh, in, in September of 2002, John MacArthur preached a sermon titled, Self-Defense Against Sexual Sin. I think, I can't be sure, but I think he gave this message to, in a chapel service at the Master's uh, Seminary. But this was in September 2002, John MacArthur preached a message, titled Self-Defense Against Sexual Sin. And in that sermon, um, MacArthur shared his encounter with a 78-year-old man Mm. who was dying of heart failure whom he went to visit at the hospital. In this sermon, John mentions that he leaned over on the man's bed and said to the man, so, mention the man's name, so, are you ready to go to heaven? The dying man began to weep and replied to John, my trust is in Jesus Christ but I just never got victory over pornography. 78 year old man. Mm-hmm. Later in that same sermon, John MacArthur says something so profound that I think every Christian should think very seriously about what he said. I'm going to quote to you what John MacArthur said later on in that sermon, self-defense against sexual sin. Again, this is from September of 2002 quote, You have expectations that I, as a man of God, as a teacher of the word of God, as the president of a college that bears the name of Jesus Christ, you have expectations of me that legitimately would establish the fact that I should live a godly life. I should live in holiness and godly sincerity. You have that expectation of me. That expectation of me is a point of accountability. Mm -hmm. And if you have it and you're here for a time and gone, And the faculty are here all the time. They have it on an enduring basis. Mm -hmm. And then there are people around me, people that I work with here, and they have expectations of me. And so do the other people that I work with in the various ministries. So do the elders of Grace Church. And so does the congregation there. I have a lot of accountability there. My wife, she thinks that I should do everything I preach perfectly. I tell her, honey, I preach a better message than I can live. I mean, give me some slack, just a little. That's a lot of accountability. My children hold me accountable. Do you think they have an expectation of me? Of course they do. My grandchildren hold me accountable. And those people are, at varying levels around me, moving into very, very intimate levels where people that work very closely with me have seen me in every situation. But let me tell you something, MacArthur says. But let me tell you something. Nobody on this planet knows what's in my heart. Nobody. And nobody can hold me accountable there. That is where the battle is won or lost. If you're going to be a holy person, if you're going to be a righteous person, it's going to have to take place in your own heart. That is where the battle has to be fought. And if you're losing it there, You're going to lose it on the outside because you can't keep a lid on it. If you're losing the battle on the inside where nobody knows, where nobody sees, and you know you're not righteous there, it will show up, unquote. That was John MacArthur from his sermon, Self-Defense Against Sexual Sin, September of 2002. You know, MacArthur's emphasis on the importance of the condition of the human heart, Omaha, Mm -hmm. is echoed by a gentleman you mentioned earlier, Dr. Heath Lambert. I'm going to cite a different book by Dr. Lambert, his book titled A Theology of Biblical Counseling. In the chapter titled Biblical Counseling and the Theology of Humanity, Dr. Lambert writes this, quote, God has designed human beings to be guided by their souls. God created people to work in such a way that their souls initiate the activity of their bodies. This idea that the body is guided and steered the soul is one that the biblical counseling movement has emphasized. One particularly articulate expression of this came from Ed Welch in his book, Blame it on the Brain? Question mark Ed Welch says this, The unique contribution of the body to the whole person is that it is the mediator of moral action rather than the initiator. In a sense, the body is equipment of the heart. It does what the heart tells it to do. It is the heart's vehicle for concrete ministry and service in the material world. That was Heath Lambert quoting Dr. Ed Welch from Welch's book, Blame It on the Brain. I'm now quoting Heath Lambert. Uh, And continuing his thoughts. Welch's point here, Lambert is saying, Welch's point is to make clear that in a biblical theology of humanity, we understand the heart as the initiator of moral action and the body as the mediator of moral action. It is important that we make that clear that so that it does not that it does not demean the body to assert that the soul instigates behavior. Okay, I want to repeat that sentence. Lambert says it is important that we make clear that it does not demean the body to assert that the soul instigates behavior. Instead, it rightly locates the crucial importance of the body as the arbiter of the soul to the rest of the world. The body not only mediates the soul to the rest of the world, it also conveys information to the soul. Human beings as creatures are dependent by definition. We need God, but we also need other things. We need food, water, sleep, and air in order to survive. Our bodies provide physical indicators for each of these necessities. This is something that is both assumed and taught in the Bible. When sin darkened the heart of the first couple, it made it possible for corrupt desires of the heart to guide the body into sinful behaviors. When Adam and Eve corruptly discerned that the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good, they each disobeyed and ate. In other words, they sinned against their own bodies by using their body against the command of God. Lambert closes with this. We repeat their transgression Every time we have a wicked desire, we betray ourselves and use the bodies God gave us to mediate the wickedness of our hearts to the world. God never intended human beings to use their bodies in this way, unquote. That was Heath Lambert from his book, A Theology of Biblical Counseling in the chapter, Biblical Counseling and a Theology of Humanity. Thoughts on that, Omaha?
1: This is a really, really good section that we're kind of walking through. And, and I, I, I I'm going to encourage our listeners to go back and, and take another round at this. There was so much content that you've packed in here with regard to quotes and things that are going to be well worth revisiting for a while. I, I really think that. But as long as we live in this life, we will have to mortify the flesh. It was John Owens book. Amen. Uh, In his book, The Mortification of Sin, where, where he said, quote, To Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. This the section that you ran through reminds me of Romans chapter six verses one and two, where Paul says, "What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound?" And he says, by no means, and in in the most emphatic way. Who? How can anyone who has died to sin still live in it? Regeneration is true. Heart change resulting in the evidence of sanctification. We we walked through that earlier uh, in, in in the podcast where you uh, you quoted from First Peter. I went over to Ephesians. We were kind of going back and forth. We could have we could have done that for the better half of the of the of this a particular episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Romans yep. chapter six verse twelve says this: Let not that uh, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Righteousness, verse 14 says this, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Last thing I'll mention is again, John Owen's book, Mortification of Sin, where he says this, quote, Set faith at work on Christ for the killing of thy sin. His blood is the great sovereign remedy for sin-sick souls. Live in this and thou wilt die a conqueror. Yea, thou wilt through the good providence of God live to see thy lust dead at thy feet. I, end quote. I, I just think that that's just a, a powerful way to kind of sum up this section by saying we, we have to be actively in pursuit of making sure that we leverage the full benefit of the cross, which was not only for the payment of our sin, but to overcome the penalty of our sin, but to overcome
0: uh, the, the power of sin in the life of the believer. Amen, brother. Well said, Omaha, well said. You know, when you consider the statistics that we cited earlier in this episode, Omaha, particularly the fact that literally every second, Of every day, every second of every day, 30,000 people at least. And again, that's 1.8 million people every minute are watching pornography online. I'm hard-pressed to come up with another example of volitional human behavior that so demonstrably reflects the depravity of the human condition than does pornography. Mm. I emphasize volitional behavior. To be certain, every sin involves the heart. I've said that earlier. Every sin involves the heart, the mind, and the will. But there's something about the allurement and the enticement of sexual indulgence and gratification that engages those dimensions of our personhood in ways that nothing else does. I think this is exactly why the Apostle Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 6.18 to flee immorality. Paul says every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man, that is the sexually immoral man or person, sins against his own body. And likewise, in James chapter one, verses 14 and 15, James says this. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. You know, earlier in this episode, Omaha, I referred to pornography as a silent killer. I say that because the effects of pornography predominantly affects us on the inside where no one sees it. And yet it brings to fruition exactly the kind of death that James is talking about in the passage I just read. Pornography brings forth death, not necessarily in the physical sense always. Nevertheless, pornography is spiritual suicide. Mm. Pornography is spiritual suicide. Mm-hmm. Though it may not destroy a physical body, pornography always destroys the soul always
3: Absolutely. because
0: it eats away at you from the inside. You know, a prime example is that nearly 80 year old man who John MacArthur alluded to in the sermon I quoted from earlier, who took his struggle with pornography all the way to his grave. Listen to this statement from Charles Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. Spurgeon says this, he's talking about lust here. Spurgeon's talking about lust and he says this, my soul See here the danger of gratified passions they are the janitors of hell wow <laughs> yeah yeah That's That's I, I, i'm pausing my soul see here the danger of gratified passions they are the janitors of hell you know as we begin to draw this episode of the just podcast to a close omaha i want to speak directly I want to speak directly as as if we haven't been speaking directly to them up to this point. I want to speak directly to that Christian brother or sister who is under the destructive yoke. And keeping your pornography a secret to this point, or at least you think you've been keeping it a secret. You think you've been keeping it a secret to this point. But I want you to know, and I say this in the spirit of Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. My brother or sister, there are no secret sins there are no secret sins there is no such thing as a secret sin listen to what God himself says in Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 24 can a man hide let me let me pause right here omaha and say one day I want to do a Bible study on all the rhetorical questions in the Bible mm-hmm Just the rhetorical questions. I just want to study the rhetoric. If you just look at all the rhetorical questions in scripture, they're just amazing. Here's another one that God poses in Jeremiah 23, verse 24. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Mm -hmm. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? In John 5, Jesus encounters a man who had been paralyzed 38 years. I want to read some verses from that chapter, in John chapter 5, to help set the stage for where I want to leave our listeners with to draw this episode to a conclusion. This is John chapter 5. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now There is in Jerusalem by a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who are sick, blind, lame, and withered. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, Jesus said to him, do you wish to get well? That was John chapter 5. Do you wish to get well? That's good. That is the question I have for you today my brother and sister, who is living under this yoke, living in enslavement to the sin of pornography. Do you wish to get well? Do you wish to get well? The gospel of Jesus Christ, and you alluded to this earlier, Omaha, the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful, not only to save you from your sin, but to free you from your enslavement to that sin. Mm -hmm. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Mm -hmm. Verse 13 of Galatians 5. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not to an opportunity for the flesh. Verse 16 of Galatians 5. But I say, walk and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, Galatians 5, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. There are no secret sins, my brother and sister. The Puritan theologian Thomas Watson, in his book, Watson is my favorite, period. Mm-hmm. Watson says in his book, The Great Gain of God- Godliness Watson says this in The Great Gain of Godliness. The snow covers many a dunghill; hill. A snowy white profession of faith covers many a foul heart. The sins of even more odious. Thistles are bad in a field, but worse in a garden. The sins of the wicked anger God, but the sins of professing believers grieve him. That was Thomas Watson from The Great Gain of Godliness. Now think about this, my dear brother and sister. Think about this. I want you to think seriously about this question. Minutes and 29 seconds of online pornography really worth the spiritual, emotional, physical and relational price you're paying for your sinful Mm self-gratification. Is it really worth it? Is it worth the price you're paying right now? And you are paying a price. You're paying a price right now. Now I asked that question against the backdrop of these words in Ecclesiastes eleven nine. Ecclesiastes eleven nine says, George, young man or young woman during your childhood and let your pleasant and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood or womanhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. That's Ecclesiastes Mm 11.9. Now I urge you in all humility to repent and forsake your sin today and turn to Christ in obedience to him. God's word says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 says, who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights In unchanging love. You know, Virgil, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask you to close out this episode of the Just Thinking podcast with a word of prayer and encouragement for those who are caught up Mm. in the shackles of this merciless Mm. and destructive sin of pornography. But before I do that, before I do that, I want to leave our listeners with these words from J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle in his book, Practical Religion says this. The things of the soul come first. And the things of the world come second. Anarchy and confusion cease. Mm. Unruly passions no longer do each one what is right in his eyes. Christ reigns over the whole man, and each part of him does his proper work. Mm. The new heart is the only really light heart, for it is the only heart that is in order. The true Christian has found out his place. He has laid aside his pride and self-will. He sits at the feet of Jesus and is in his right mind. He loves God and loves man, and so he is happy. In heaven, all are happy because all do God's will perfectly. Mm. The nearer a man entered, the happier he will be. The plain truth is that without Christ, there is no happiness in this world. He alone can give the comforter who abides forever. Without him, men never feel warm. He is the light. Without him, men are always in the dark. He is the bread. Without him, men are always starving. He is the living water. Without him, men are always a thirst. Give them what you like. Ryle says, give them what you like, place them where you please, surround them with all the comforts you can imagine. It makes no difference. Separate from Christ, the Prince of Peace, a man cannot be happy. And Ryle closes with this. If we love our souls, if we love our souls, we must have nothing to do with amusements that are bound up with sin. Mm. Unquote. J.C. Ryle from his book, Practical Religion. Omaha, well, you close us out,
1: brother. Absolutely, man. Let's 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 close with a word of prayer, and and I uh, have uh, some final thoughts. Father God, we just come to you even now, and our prayer, Lord God, would be that you would use uh, what we've put together in this podcast to your glory. Uh, our prayer would be that those who are struggling with this particular issue would hear your voice, not ours, your voice through the, the proclamation and declaration of the truth of your word, that they would see their sin through the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the gospel, through, through, through the light of scripture. Our prayer would be that by your spirit, you would penetrate their hearts and draw them closer to yourself, that we would, that those who, who continue to, to wrestle with this would wrestle no longer, but would take hold, lay hold to what you have given them on and through the cross, which is the power to overcome sin, I pray, Lord God, for every situation, every circumstance, with regard to this particular issue, and pray that you would just, you you, you would you would turn the heart of your people back toward yourself. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I'm glad th- that we got a chance to run through this man and uh I I look forward to how God will use this in the days to come and again my encouragement to all who listen would be to re-listen and then listen to all, all of the resources all of the all of the the books the the things that we talked about in this particular podcast will be made available. I also know that we've got some some uh subscriptions to Covenant Eyes that we'll have in the in the uh, in the show notes. We want to encourage you to take advantage of those tools to use those leverage those to help you walk a life that's God-honoring. With that said, as we always say, thank you for joining us on this edition. Tune in next time for the next edition of the Just Thinking Podcast.
2: The Just Thinking Podcast, hosted by Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, is a Christ-centered, gospel-focused, and theologically challenging program that boldly and unapologetically addresses social, political, and cultural issues from a biblical worldview. With an international listenership that stretches from the United States and Canada to Romania, Nicaragua, and Mongolia. The Just Thinking Podcast breaks through all ethnic, geographic, social, and cultural barriers to bring the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the issues confronting his church and his people. Subscribe to The Just Thinking Podcast using the podcast app on your Apple or Android smart device, or you can listen online at thebarpodcast.com slash JT.